This morning, we'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and I'm reading um, from the message today. If you are physically able, would you stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? One of the religion scholars came up, hearing the lively exchanges of question and answer, and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. He put in his question, which is the most important of all the commandments? And Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And here is the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. And the religion scholars said, a wonderful answer, teacher. So lucid and accurate that God is one and there is no other. And loving him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as you love yourself. Why, that's better than all the offerings and sacrifices put together. When Jesus realized how insightful he was, he said, you're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. After that, no one else dared ask a question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come into this place with our own questions, with our own concerns, with our own distractions, and perhaps even our own doubts. And yet, Lord, we understand that you have the answers. And while there are things that we will ponder from now until eternity, God, there are basics that you make plain for us, for all who have ears to hear. And so I pray that you would take these teachings that Jesus gave, and that you would embed them deeply in our lives, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our actions. Father, bless the reading and proclamation of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This passage of Scripture and the accompanying, the parallel passages that come in the other Gospels, are they're not unfamiliar. Many of us have heard these teachings about loving God and loving others. It has been called the greatest commandment. And so uh, many churches, in fact, will gear their mission statements around these. And, it, and that's not a, a bad thing at all. It's a great thing. So you'll hear a lot of different churches will say, love God, love people, because it kind of sums, sums it up what Jesus said that we're to do. And again, it's called the greatest commandment. I think sometimes, though, we hear that, we take it in, but we, we miss the full meaning of it. In other words, we don't get what's so great about the great commandment. And so today, I want us to dive in. I want us to ask that question, what is so great about the great commandment? What is so important? We toss around the word love all the time. Yes, I love God. Yes, I love people. Everybody wants to say that, it seems like. But what does it really mean 
to do those things, to really have them embedded and ingrained in your life. So I want us to see this focus. First of all, love for God sharpens our focus in life. Love for God sharpens our focus in life. The ancient Israelites began their day and actually had, did it again twice every day. They would say out loud, they would repeat their confession of faith. You know, kind of like we sometimes say the Apostles' Creed or, or we recite the Lord's Prayer, things like that. Well, every single day they would go through and repeat this, um, this confession of faith that they called the Shema. And it, it came from the Bible. It was actually two passages from Deuteronomy and then a third passage from the book of Numbers. And so every single day, your good, pious Jews would repeat these scriptures. And they began focusing on, on this teaching, the Lord your God, he is one. And so we got to get this idea of, from this of monotheism, that there's one God. And, the, and I know today, for most Christians, that's like, well, yeah, I've, I've never doubted that. I, I've never, you know, worried about what Zeus and Hera might do to me. But you got to go back in the ancient world. They, their polytheism was everywhere. That is belief in multiple gods. They thought there was this whole pantheon, this whole big group of gods in the sky. And, and you know, they were all kind of, um, they're all kind of powerful. They were all kind of angry. And, and they all had their own little subsection of life. For instance, sometimes these gods in the ancient world, they would be over a certain country. Well, my God is powerful here, but then when you get, you get to the boundary line, you cross the river, nope, nope, there's another God powerful over here in this other country. Or another way was that they had this certain sphere or realm that they were powerful in. So there might be a, a sun God who was powerful in the sky, and then there'd be a, a God of the oceans, and there'd be a God of the underworld. And so each of them was powerful, but with limitations, they were put in their own place, and, and that's the power they had. And the message of the ancient Hebrews was, no, 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 no. There's not this God and that God. There's not another God for each day of the week or for each country. There's one God, and he is God. He is Lord. He is ruler over all. And so I don't have to worry when I go on an out-of-town vacation or out-of-country vacation, uh, have I run beyond the coverage of my God? You know, uh, can I get a signal here to my God? Can I, can I get in touch or is this out of his coverage area? No, we don't have to worry about that, the, the Israelites said, because there's one God and he's in the heavens and he's on earth and he's under the earth. And he is in Jerusalem, and he is in Judea, and he is in Samaria, and he is everywhere because the whole earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And that was the revolutionary message of these ancient Hebrews. There's one God, and he's over all. And so they would repeat this to themselves every day. There's the Lord our God is one. And here's how that affects our loving him. Because God is without borders. He's not like these little G false gods who here's your place and your place and your place. But we serve a God that is God overall, a God that has no borders. 
our love for him should also be without borders. Do you get that? Understanding right theology brings us to right worship. If we understand God is overall, we worship him with everything. And that was Jesus' point when he, when he followed the words of, of Deuteronomy and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. It's not the point of that scripture, which is repeated multiple places in the Bible. It's not that we should say, um, okay, let me check. Am I loving God with my mind? What about my strength? How, um, yeah, I'm loving God today. You know, I mean, we, we don't do it that way. It is his way of saying everything, every area, every aspect of your life is under the Lord your God. You cannot simply compartmentalize and say, here's my spiritual life, and I'm really doing well with the God thing over here. Here's my work life. Here's my family life. Here's my friendships. Here's my love life. Here's my career. Here's, here's my fame. Here's my achievements. And like have all these little things and say, well, I dealt with God over here in the church life or maybe the five-minute devotional in the morning life. No, God is in all, over all. He's, God is everywhere, okay? God has this whole thing, all right? And so because he's God over all, our worship should extend to every part of our lives. So what happens so often is that we kind of try to shove God in a box we try to act like we're loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But really what that means is, yeah, I show up on Sundays. I say prayers at meals. I give my tithe. But we have to put aside the little gods in our life. The gods of money, power, comfort, achievement, pleasure, fame, we have to put aside all of those things and focus on God alone. And see, love for God sharpens our focus because of, instead of following after and being distracted by all the different things in the world, whether they were in the ancient world, actual little wooden or gold or silver idols, or today, the things we follow, and even the Bible says money can be an idol. Greed can be an idol. All these other things we run after and we're scattered everywhere. Loving God and understanding he is the one true God that focuses our lives. It brings an integrity. It brings a wholeness to us that we're not scattered and all over the place, but everything we do is about God. So some people mistake that and say, well, I guess I can't play Frisbee golf anymore, you know, because I don't read that in Scripture. Uh, I guess I'm giving up needlepoint. Um, you know, that's not in the Bible. No, 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 no. God created work and rest and leisure, and all of these things are things. But if you cannot imagine God being happy in that hobby, in that pursuit, if he is not pleased in it, if you cannot glorify him through it, then it is not a proper hobby or pursuit. But I think you absolutely can glorify God through athletics. You can absolutely glorify God through your career. You can absolutely glorify God through your, your family. Not, not just can, that you can, but you should. We all should glorify God in all we do. So that's the focus that the great commandment gives us. Secondly, 
The love for others enlarges our lives. This is the interesting thing because this love for God focuses our lives. It kind of narrows our attention and it says it's, it's all about serving him. But then really understanding what God says, he links these things. You love me and you love your neighbor as yourself. This actually broadens our life because God is, um, he wants us to, to look around, to not be blinded and so inwardly focused. You see, we all love ourselves. Now, some of you say, well, I, no, I, I don't really love myself. You know, I, I just I wish that some things were different. You know, some hair that used to be there. You know, well, guess what? You love yourself because you wish the hair was its earlier color or density or whatever. You know, oh, I don't like my nose. Well, you love yourself because you want your nose to be the best. Okay, all of these things we say, well, I don't like this about my personality. Well, you love yourself because you want your personality to be the best that it can be. So it's not saying that you're happy with your body or your looks or your whatever, but you love yourself and so you want the best for yourself. Sometimes you just look at what you have and you're like, that's not the best, you know. But all of us love ourselves. In fact, that is scriptural. Do you know that Paul said that in the passage about uh, husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5? And he talks about how, how husbands should love their wives as themselves. And he said, you husbands, you should nourish and cherish your wife just like you nourish and cherish yourself, just like you love yourself, you take care of the things that are important to you guys. And therefore, you ought to take care of the things that are important to your wife. And he says these exact words in, in Ephesians 5, 29. He said, there, he said, no one ever hated his own body, but loved and cherished it, loved and cared for it. All of us naturally wants what, what's best for us. And if we don't, that means we've got some kind of serious malfunction going on. That's when we know someone's going off the path because it's not normal to not love or take care of yourself. And Jesus didn't slam that. He didn't say that's a bad thing, the way that you love yourself. He said, just can you kind of try to love some other people also? <laughs> Can you, can you get outside your own little inward thinking and look around and try to value and care for and love these other folks the way that you're loving yourself and caring for yourself so much? Could you please do that? And, and so this idea of loving our neighbor, it's bringing, bringing us outside ourselves. It's continually opening ourselves to others. Now, see, the ancient Jews, they, they understood that this could be a really sacrificial thing. And so they started narrowing the definition of who their neighbor was. They started saying, well, a neighbor that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, um, that's going to be someone who's in my same social class, in my same religion, and, and, and you know, they like me and they live by me. And, and, and they had all these little filters that you had to go down through. And by the end of it, there was a teeny tiny little portion of people that they considered to be their neighbors that they were actually supposed to love. And Jesus blew that away when he told the story of the great Samaritan because the Jews despised the Samaritans. 
There was a a history, a bad history. There was an ethnic difference. There, There was a difference of belief. There were all these differences, and they couldn't stand the Samaritans. And when Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story, it was shocking to them. Because basically by saying the Samaritan was the one who showed love, he shamed them. He said, you have narrowed your focus. You, I mean, you have, you have narrowed your mind. You have narrowed yourself to who you can love to this tiny little sliver of people. And this Samaritan, who you think is a no good, good for nothing, nobody, what did he do? He loved. He loved those who even despised him. And so our job is not to do what they did, the folks in Jesus' day, and narrow and narrow and narrow till we get down to where we can love a certain degree of people who like us and are like us and we're comfortable around. Rather, we should have more of a Mr. Rogers attitude. A please won't you be my neighbor. An attitude of I want to be a blessing I want to share God's love that he shared with me with everybody I come into contact with. So love for God sharpens our focus. And love for others enlarges our lives. And you take these two together, love for God and love for others. And it clarifies our path. It sheds light on our path and where we are supposed to go. Jesus was asked this question by the scribe. That was kind of the old word for it. A lot of modern translations will say teacher of the law or whatever. And, and basically, these guys were human copy machines, okay? That's, that's what scribe's job. Here, make me a copy of that, okay? Uh, boy, I would have hated to have that job, right? Uh, Xerox, thank you, you know? But we might think that is a menial job, but it actually wasn't. It was actually a very respected job. Because first of all, people, not everybody had uh, uh, access to these kind of documents. And these scribes not only got access to the documents to look at them and study them, they, their job was to copy them word for word to check and to double check. And so they knew these words. They knew these words. They knew them really well. Okay? And, and, and they became regarded as legal experts and spiritual experts because they knew the law of the Hebrews so well. Well, this scribe here, when Jesus said to him, it's probably, as far as I know, it's the one time in Scripture where Jesus says, kind of gives an attaboy to the scribes. Because usually it's kind of talking about, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees did blah, 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 some kind of bad stuff against Jesus. But here he compliments the scribe. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The message version that I read this morning said, put it this way, you're almost there right on the border of God's kingdom. In other words, you're on the right track. You're on the right path. Because you have understood that the essence of loving and serving God the way that I said to is about taking love for God and love for man and joining these things together 
He said, you're on the right path. You're getting there. And having those two tent poles in our life helps us. We have decisions we have to deal with and make every single day. And all the time, is it a good decision? Is it a bad decision? And we've got this super simple filter. We run it through this. Can I honestly say I'm loving God when I do this? Can I honestly say that I am loving mankind? Am I loving my neighbor when I do this? And that makes it most of the things that we're even questioning about, we're questioning because on the inside we kind of know, "Mm, I really shouldn't. Something is telling us, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. And we run it through those tests. We understand clearly if I can say, yes, I'm loving God, and I'm loving people through this, this is probably a good decision. If I can't say, and there's a lot of people out there who are very high and religious, but they seem to hate people. You ever notice that? There was a story about a a little girl years ago. She prayed a prayer. She said, God, please make all the bad people good and all the good people nice. Because in her, her uh, version of things, her experience, and you've experienced some people like this too, some of the, quote, good people aren't very nice. But Jesus says, no, not really. If you're really walking the way that I've taught you to walk, you're not only going to have the high moral standards that God says you should have, you're also going to have a love for people that guides your life. So love for God, love for man. And again, we might come to say, this is probably not new information for any of us, right? We've probably already heard, at least once in our life, love God, love people. But here's the deal. We can know it and not do it. We can know what God's word says and have the right theology, and we can slip back into the ways of the world. Remember Jonah? Remember him? That big fish guy? You know, uh, Do you think he had, as a prophet of the Lord, do you think he had good theology? I I think he could have taken a theology test and and got 110, you know, answered the bonus question and everything. He could have told us all about it. He could have told you that the Lord God, Jehovah, is God of all people. And yet when God came to him and God said, now I want you to go uh, over this way over to these uh, Ninevites over there. What did he do? He got on a boat heading toward Tarshish, modern-day Spain. (laughs) He's like, you know, I think I'd prefer a European vacation over a Middle Eastern vacation. Lord, thanks for the suggestion, but I'm going to go this way. Why did he say that? Because in the ancient world, oh, maybe I'll kind of get out of God's coverage. Maybe I'll just go and get off this holy land and get on these great seas towards Spain, and, and, and I can get out of this whole quandary. But you know, God proved he was over the land and the sea. He was over all. He brought the storm. He worked his will through the sailors. He prepared that great fish, and he brought him all the way back to Nineveh. And finally, Jonah started getting it through his thick head, Guess what? God is God, and I can't get away from his coverage. But you know what the rest of Jonah tells us? He had a hard time catching on that other part, too. Because I imagine Jonah had no problem loving on other Israelites. But he's like, these Ninevites, God, you know what they've done? 
You know how bad they are? How evil? You know how they've oppressed people? God, I don't want to go and preach grace and salvation because they'll accept it. They'll repent and then they won't get dashed into damnation and condemnation. And my, my whole fantasy about the bad people getting what they deserve, that's going to all go away, God, if I go preach grace and repentance. And I don't want to do that. Because rather than follow God's grace and take that in his own heart and have grace toward the Ninevites, he said, I love you, God, but I'm holding on to that hate against those evil, evil people. And what Jonah had to learn and what we have to learn is that you can't separate love for God and love for mankind. As John put in one of his letters, he said, if you cannot love your brother who you have seen, how do you think you can love your, bro- your God who you have not seen? Join me in prayer. Lord God, uh, The idea that you give us of love, it's not a hard-to-say word. It's not a high and mighty theological concept that only scholars can grasp. And yet, God, we can all do more. We can all love more. We're all still under construction, and we need to learn how to love you And love other boys and girls and men and women more as you've commanded us to do. Help us to do those things, to be on that path, walking in your ways, in ways that pleases you, in ways of love that bring honor and glory to your name. God, we pray and ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.